Hello and welcome to another episode of The Extras. Lachlan Grice here, joined this week by Peter. Hello. Peter, how you doing, mate? It's been a little while since we've been on air together. It's been a while. I've been saving up all my podcast energy. <laughs> had some holidays. Any highlights? Any highlights? Uh, sure, being out in the sun. Yeah, nice. Nice. And there's a little bit of sun as we're recording today. We've made it through the, the rain of the morning. Not sure when you'll listen to this and what the weather will be, but it's nice to see some of that sunshine. Uh, today, we're coming together to speak about Matthew 25. Uh, here at St. Paul's, we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew over the last little while. And Peter, you've had a couple of Sundays helping us get our teeth into verse 1 to 30 of Matthew 25 and a couple of parables that Jesus tells. Um, do you want to give us the quick rundown of those stories? Yeah, so Jesus tells a couple of stories, and really this is all flowing on from what he said in chapter 24 about that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And the uh, consequence he draws from that is, therefore, keep watch, be mm. ready. Mm. And then he tells a few little stories about what being ready looks like. We looked at two of those. One, uh, ten young women are part of a wedding procession. Um, some of them fail to plan ahead and they uh, it ends up going badly for them. Uh, three servants are entrusted with uh, money when their master departs they're told to invest it and then we hear about the different ways that works out yeah nice and i think jesus tells some other stories like this in some of the other gospels it's a bit of a theme Mm. that flows through those different gospels helping us to be ready for jesus coming uh we've had a couple of questions just to clarify details of these stories the first question picking up on the first story you describe it there as 10 young women. Uh, the Bible translations that we've got talk about 10 virgins. Um, someone's asked, why 10 virgins? Why not 10 average sheilas? Is there something special going on here with the virgins? Yeah, I think, I mean, virgin to us is about kind of somebody's sexual status. That's what we uh, hear. Really, the, the stress is that they are young women. It's not mm. really about have they had sex or not. Not really important. It's more that they are young, unmarried women. And so culturally, that's the kind of person who gets involved in a wedding procession in this kind of a role. Yep, nice. Good to clarify those sorts of details. Uh, Still in that same first story, so as that story unfolds, these 10 young women, they're waiting for the groom to turn up, but some of them uh, fall asleep. Is that right? Am I reading that right? They all fall asleep. They all fall asleep. There you go. Um, So someone's asked, you know, there's a different passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, falling asleep is just a phrase that talks about death. So in the same way that virgin is a phrase for young women, you know, falling asleep could be just talking about death. Is that what's going on in Matthew 25? Could these women be those who have died? And then the point might be that you know, once you've died, there's no longer a chance to get ready for Jesus' return. Is that what's going on? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it kind of gets into the area of how do you interpret a parable? which is uh, a tricky thing to do. Jesus um, talks about how these parables are, um, in some sense, like they're designed to conceal as much as to reveal. Mm. Not everybody gets what Jesus is talking about, although sometimes it's very clear what Jesus is going Mm. on about. Mm. There's a particular issue. Parables are stories that they're they're self-enclosed, they make sense in their own terms, but they also speak beyond themselves of something else. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven here, he tells us, Mm. when he's talking about this wedding procession. He's telling us about the kingdom of heaven. And so the issue that we have when we come to the parables uh, is often, well, okay, so some 
aspects of this story represent some aspects of the kingdom of heaven, but which ones? Mm. And so do we go down to every tiny detail? What's the oil? What are the Mm. jars? Why Mm. five and not four Mm. or six? Mm. And we can try to push into those details because we want to take God's word seriously and understand what it's saying. Mm. But we have this uh, issue here. Um, How far do we go in uh, allegorizing, in drawing um, allegorical kind of linkages between uh, the details in the parable and the kingdom of heaven? Mm. Now, this idea that um, this could be a story about, uh, as as our uh, questioner rightly talks about, the New Testament uses the language of falling asleep for Christians who die because the expectation is that they will be awakened to the Mm. resurrection Mm. at the Lord's return. And so uh, is that what it's talking about here? Now, that kind of interpretation actually goes way back. So uh, Thomas Aquinas cites people in the 13th century. He cites people who have already been wondering this. So it's got a pretty good pedigree. Mm. But, I mean, I don't think that is a good way to read it, uh, briefly because um, this parable comes in the context of a little trio of parables uh, and then comes in this broader context of Jesus... um, uh, discourse about his return mm. and uh, the idea of uh, the idea of uh, death and the general resurrection it seems to me uh, is not particularly on view uh, in this trio and so I would say well a possible interpretation sure mm. but I don't to me see that there are things in the context that not just that way and so mm. generally speaking I think a simpler interpretation is is a better one. I was just speaking about Jesus' return, speaking about preparedness, and the idea of kind of death and resurrection is not mm. particularly on view here. Mm. Okay, thanks, Peter. That's really helpful. And as you get us thinking about the nature of Jesus' stories and parables there, I think that helps us with the next question that came through. So if we move to the second story, these servants that were entrusted with some of their master's money, uh, you know, one of those servants gets judged pretty harshly for not doing anything, really, with the money that was entrusted to him. Uh, And the master says, you should have put my money with the bankers so that at least I would have gotten some interest from it. Someone's asked, well, what's the point of that first? Who are the bankers there? Yeah, interesting question. Um, And again, I would say this is about the, you know, that that effort to say, okay, um, God's given us this, this, um, these words and God's words really matter. We want Mm. to press into the details. Great instinct. Mm. That's what we want to do. Mm. But we need to have a bit of kind of literary sensitivity about us as well as we read these things. I don't believe the bankers represent anything. Mm. I think the bankers uh, help within the world of the story to make the point about the kind of activity of this last servant. Mm. Um, he's he's uh, exercised no efforts whatsoever mm. out of the, uh, the you know the spectrum of different kinds of things available to him to do he's made no effort whatsoever to um, I would say invest himself in the master's mm. cause to to faithfully uh, carry out the task the master has entrusted to him just zero effort at all so literarily within the story the detail about the bankers helps to make that point you know he could have at a minimum, gone to the bankers but he didn't do anything which makes mm. Jesus broader point about uh, the kinds of effort uh, the kinds of ways that people apply themselves to the task that the Lord has entrusted them with while we wait mm. wonderful thank you um, now you've you kind of given us this picture of these stories fitting within a broader discourse of Jesus here in Matthew 24 and 25 
someone's asked about that because uh, you know, as is our normal practice, we're working through Matthew and so we've been in Matthew 24 and someone's just comparing those and saying Matthew 25 seems to have a heavier emphasis on Christ's return than perhaps what they saw in chapter 24. Um, was there more of an emphasis on Christ's return in 24 or was that more about the temple what are your thoughts there on how this fits together? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I think this has really come up in the preaching and on the extras over the last couple of weeks. In chapter 24, it's obviously about the temple. It's obviously about the return and the end of the age. Mm. And these things are blended together. And um, some people try to tease them apart, but there's different ways to tease them apart. And some people might say, this part's about the temple, this part's about Jesus' return. Mm. Other people might say, no, 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 that part's about Jesus' return. This part's about the temple. Mm. People, other people, again, might say, well, the whole thing is a kind of, you know, they're kind of stacked on, t- on top of each other deliberately. Um, at any rate, by the time we get into chapter 25, we really moved on, I think, to talking exclusively about Jesus' return. The mm. temple has receded from view, and now we're really talking about, uh, from chapter 24, 36 onward, at least, mm. uh, Jesus has firmly in his sights uh, the day, the hour of his return. Mm. Wonderful. So let's move on to talk about the implications of these stories then. And you spend a good chunk of time in the sermon helping us think through, like you say, Jesus wants us to be ready. There's the purpose for these stories, for his disciples to be ready for his return. Uh, And I think you helpfully drew out that these stories are preparing us for maybe a longer stretch of being ready. Um, There there might be some waiting before this all happens. But do you want to Give us a quick summary of what that readiness might involve and then we get into some of these questions. Yeah, sure. Um, So I I think it's not a simple and straightforward thing. So Jesus doesn't say, all right, guys, be ready. And here's what that is. Like Mm. he he tells stories which are richly suggestive, Mm. but not narrowly prescriptive of what readiness Mm. looks like. And so uh, I think broadly speaking, uh, readiness is about a living faith in Jesus. That sounds like a great phrase, a living faith in Jesus and kind of maintaining that for the duration of time while we wait. That's right. Yeah. So uh, a, a personal, deep, wholehearted, whole personed mm. uh, investment in Jesus, my trust, mm. my loyalty, mm. uh, my heart belongs to him. Mm. Uh, and that wells up in my life in all kinds of yeah. ways. That was makes, that's what makes it a, a lively, yeah, a living yeah, faith yeah. in Jesus. Nice. nice. So a few questions about that kind of readiness. Again, clarification, and we can probe in and press a bit further on what that means. Someone's wondered, um, you know, if we think about Jesus entrusting that money to the servants and then leaving for a while, uh, could that map onto the great commission that Jesus left his disciples with? Yeah, he's, he's gone, he said he's coming back, and for now there's the commission to get on with. Where does that fit into the living faith that you speak about there? Yeah, I think uh, I think broadly our questioner is on the right track here. So uh, Jesus is, is preparing his uh, disciples for his going mm. prior to his coming, and the end of Matthew's gospel is going to make it very clear what the shape of that intervening time looks like. Uh, go... Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Uh, behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. So mm. Jesus frames it up as this is this is what you guys have got to be about until mm. I get back, mm. until the end of the age. Uh, and so the, the, I think that commission, uh, it talks about uh, discipleship, 
and it talks about obedience to Jesus' mm. commands and it talks mm. about um, baptism, this uh, sign of uh, coming into this uh, faith relationship with Jesus. Mm. Uh, so broadly, yes, I think uh, for the disciples, sorry, for the apostles, that looks like going out and proclaiming Jesus and kind of being the, uh, uh, in a way, being the source of, uh, of, of faith in that mm. they communicate the gospel. They're entrusted with Jesus to take the saving message out uh, to all nations. And then for us, us non-apostles, that looks like hearing the apostles' words, for, in our case, through scripture, mm. and living them out in, mm. a, in a living faith. Mm. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, a couple of people hearing that phrase, well, look, there's one question that's come in. So let me ask it this way. Someone hearing this has gone, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist, self-diagnosed. Um, how do I know if I'm ready for Jesus? Or in their language, how do I know if I'm ready enough for Jesus? Uh, is there a danger here of falling into some kind of works-based salvation as we think about readiness for Jesus' return? Yeah, um, thanks for the question. Now it's uh, it's worth uh, it's worth noting that there are kind of a perennial uh, besetting danger uh, of uh, Christian people is to fall into legalism. Mm. And so the idea that God has certain rules that God wants me to follow, if I can kind of obey enough of them well enough, God will be pleased mm. with me. If mm. I fail to do that. Uh, I, he won't be pleased with me. I mm. won't be saved. Mm. And we might look around and we might uh, perceive various places that seems to be very much the message. And we might think, well, that's, that's no good. We don't want that. Mm. Quite, quite right, quite right. Uh, I would say, how do we avoid sliding into that kind of a mentality? I actually think uh, avoiding language like ready enough is quite important. So mm. um, I didn't use that phrase in the sermon and actually wouldn't use that phrase. I think that's mm. quite unhelpful, mm. like implying that there's a certain standard and if I can get myself up and over that line, things are going to be okay. Mm. Uh, not the way to think of it, mm. I think. Uh, as I would say, ready uh, is a living faith. And I think that's just that's kind of an on-off switch. Either that's that exists or it mm. doesn't. And mm. there's, no, there's no enough about it. You trust Jesus. Do you trust Jesus enough? Well, that's, that's not yeah. the question. Yeah. I, the question is, is Jesus enough? Mm. Do you trust him? Mm. He is enough? Okay, do you trust him? Mm. Uh, so uh, we do want to avoid work salvation. Uh, we don't want to talk about sort of being ready enough. If you trust Jesus, you're ready. If your confidence mm. is in him, mm. not in yourself, if that's welling up in the way that you live, mm. uh, that's what ready looks like. Now, on the same by the same token... I think it, when we're talking about readiness, we do need to be talking about works. And in fact, when we're talking about salvation, we need to be talking about works because Jesus does that. Mm. Now, Jesus is not into works-based salvation. But at the same time, uh, Jesus uh, is determined to see his disciples live out their faith. Mm. Uh, so... We, you know, and we, we read Jesus uh, always, you know, talking about, uh, he's, he'll go on to talk later on in this passage about the way that you treat the least of one of these brothers. Yeah, yeah. Are you visiting them in prison? Are you yeah. giving them food and drink? Intensely practical, mm. uh, earthy ways mm. of living out mm. faith. Now, it's faith. Humility that that we've talked about recently. I remember your sermon on that one, Peter. Humility versus self-exaltation and another 
yeah an example there of Jesus absolutely teaching. so Jesus is looking for works yeah not to save yeah works can't save yeah but if you're saved you should be working mm. uh, like uh, you know like Paul would say what counts is is faith uh, working itself out in love mm. uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling mm. uh, where God's handiwork uh, saved uh, to walk in the works prepared for us. Mm. And so these things go together. Now there's a definite first and second. Mm. Faith is first, works are second. Faith saves, works don't save. Works come from faith. Mm. They come after faith. Mm. But they do come after faith. Mm. Mm. Uh, so a living faith, a lively faith, a faith that works. Mm. This is the faith that Jesus wants to see. Now if we... Uh, and sometimes, sometimes I worry a bit about this. Sometimes I think that we are more serious about uh, salvation by grace through faith uh, than uh, Jesus is in some ways. <laughs> uh, we say, well, hang on a minute. If we mention works, that undercuts the gospel of salvation by mm. grace through faith. Mm. And I would just say, well, it doesn't seem to be a problem for Jesus. Mm. It doesn't seem to be a problem for Paul. These mm. things need to go in their order, but they do go together. Mm. And so we need to be talking about living good lives as a result of the faith that God has given us, the faith through which we're saved. Yeah, it's so helpful, Peter. And I, I don't know, I'm just thinking about the way that cultural winds shift and we react to some stuff from previous times and maybe part of how we've ended up where we are is kind of maybe a reaction against the uh, self-righteousness of Christians of a former age. I think about the Simpsons and that perception of Ned and his kids, you know, maybe there's been a bit of a reaction against that, mm. um, but perhaps we've reacted too far. And I, I don't know, there could be a bunch of things there. You mentioned as well that there is that perennial danger for Christians to keep falling into the legalism. And that might drive us away from some of that language to think, well, no, we just have to keep watching our hearts and not fall into any kind of that boasting, but maybe we end up not seeing transformed lives as much, not talking as much about the life of faith that should flow from it. I don't know. There's just a couple of random thoughts yeah. as we chat through this and why we've ended up where we have. I think I think for me, just something that I find helpful and something I try to uh, do as we come to each Bible passage Sunday by Sunday is that I try quite hard to um, deliver an unbalanced message. Yeah. Um, so to, to read what each part of the Bible says and say that, mm. knowing that there are other parts of the Bible mm. that say other things, mm. but to know we'll, we'll say those things when we get to those other mm. parts. Mm. So uh, there'll be parts where the stress is very firmly on faith, not works, mm. through which we're saved. Mm. There'll be other parts where the stress is less on faith and more on the works that faith produces. Mm. And so... Uh, in my judgment, this is one of those latter passages. And so I think it's appropriate, actually, to hear fully what Jesus says, not to uh, dilute that message by saying, mm. oh, well, we know we know that other things are said in other places, so let's focus on that. No, no, what's being said here? And let's mm. hear what God's word is saying to us today. There is a reason God gave us this passage. Let's mm. hear it in all its strength. Mm. Mm. Yeah, helpful. Helpful to understand that kind of methodology for you there, Pete. Um, as we're talking about this as well, it makes me think of the Thessalonian letters and one of our questions has already taken us there. But I've been reading 1 Thessalonians and now 2 Thessalonians with someone within church and she talked about the works that are produced by faith. That's the language in Thessalonians as well, the labour of love, the mm. endurance of hope, the mm. 
Um, it, it kind of flows from the faith, the hope, and the love, a transformed life, a living faith. Helpful language there. Uh, it does bring us back to the passage for another question because this passage talks about being ready, but then does mention these people who are not ready. And so what we've, we've talked about the readiness as living faith. What, what does the not readiness look like then? How would you describe those here who are not ready for Jesus' return? Well, you know, I think a person who does not trust Jesus is not ready for Jesus' return. Mm. So uh, without, uh, without a, a lively faith, you know, if, I, if, if I'm living my life uh, in denial of Jesus' lordship, mm. uh, in resistance to God, the King, uh, in self-righteousness mm. uh, of, of, of the religious or the secular kind, uh, the day of Jesus coming will find me not ready mm. and I'll be condemned in the judgment. Yeah. That's what not readiness looks like. Yeah. And am I right in picking up from these particular stories from Jesus that there was some sense in which these people in the stories were once included or I don't know, is there a sense that you might be professing Jesus but yet not have that living faith? Is that part of what's being picked up here? Um you know, this was a servant that was entrusted with something and right. then they failed. You know, is, is there a, you look like you're in, but you're not. Is there something there going on? Yeah, I mean, this kind of touches on something we've talked about earlier this year, quite a long way mm. earlier this year in the book of Hebrews, where there mm. are strong warnings, uh, warnings against falling away from grace, uh, warnings against kind of, uh, losing zeal, um, you know, getting bogged down in sin, becoming unfruitful. Uh, and I would say that something similar is happening here. I think Jesus is warning people that over the long haul, uh, there is the risk that that zeal can dim, that uh, sin can uh, get a hold of us, that we can become mm. distracted, we can backslide. Mm. And I think that Jesus is saying, uh, don't do that. Mm. Don't do that. That's spiritually uh, a dangerous and potentially calamitous thing mm. to do. Don't mm. do that. Mm. So thinking then about this readiness as a long-term project, um, like I said, that was really helpful, I think, and a uh, number of conversations picked that up from the last couple of Sundays. Um, but the question's come through highlighting that maybe there might be a risk in that long-term sense of readiness, a risk for us in comfortable Christianity in Sydney. Um, could it negate the urgency, the call to be actively prioritising our service to the Lord, even in our everyday life decisions? small and big ones, is there a risk in this long-term language around waiting? Well, I think, yes, I think there definitely is a risk in describing it as long-term. And uh, it's just as uh, our questioner uh, suggested. And so, you know, the risk is that we uh, we might say, oh, look, I've probably, got, I've probably got a bit more time. I can just today, I don't mm. need to get too serious about leaving for Jesus. There'll always be tomorrow. I can, mm. I can do better mm. later put things off uh, which leads to exactly the kind of dimming of zeal and uh, mm. and and uh, ensnaring in sin that Jesus is warning about here mm. uh, so uh, yes yes there's a risk there uh, I think however it's true to say this idea of, of a lengthy delay is a part of Jesus teaching here mm. so not only in the parables we mentioned, but also in one in 24, dire directly before it, there's a reference to a long time. So three mm. times Jesus mm. talks about 
a, a weight of a long duration. Mm. And so it seems to me to be uh, to be uh, right to take that seriously, that yeah. Jesus has in view some kind of a long mm. delay. Mm. Now, he combines that with a, a sudden return, and I sort of did my best to say we have to be able to think about both these things at the same mm. time, a lengthy mm. delay and then a sudden mm. presence of Jesus. Uh, and really what those add up to is the need to be ready at any time. It doesn't seem to me that you can talk about a lengthy delay and sudden presence and say, oh, well, I'll just sort of continue in sin a bit longer then. No, yeah. Jesus will yeah, be present yeah, yeah. suddenly. Yeah. Be ready now. Get ready now and stay ready always. Mm. Uh, so Jesus talks about there being a long term, but not in such a way as to create any possibility for complacency, if we mm. understand him rightly. Mm. Mm. Uh, now, the particular line that I took uh, was to say, so I, 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 I felt as I was coming uh, reading this uh, during the weeks and, and trying to understand it for myself, a way that I've often heard this passage and, and its kind of cousins preached is um, Jesus could return at any moment. He could return tonight. Mm. He could return before the end of church today. He could return before I finish this sentence. Mm-hmm. I've preached that way a few times myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the risk of preaching that way is it's kind of quite rhetorically forceful. Um, but every time I heard that, it it didn't happen. Mm. Um, and it creates this kind of risk where people say, oh, well, yes, I've heard that, but, you know, the seconds tick on. And if Jesus, uh, if Jesus is coming back tonight, well, I don't really have a lot of time to do much of anything mm. to get ready. I'm already a Christian, and so, mm. well, I guess I'll just carry on. Mm. Uh, and so I actually wonder if it, if it undercuts the strength to, mm. of, of Jesus' return to be saying, oh, he's coming back so soon, so soon you won't have any time to do anything, so maybe just don't worry about doing anything. Mm. Uh, now, you don't have to hear that message that way, of course, but I wonder, you know, my heart sometimes does. Mm. And so it made me think, Okay, so if I need to be ready for Jesus at any time, and it could be a long time, maybe it's helpful to think, how do I get set up for a sudden return that could happen at any time but might Mm. be in a long time? Mm. Um, Can I afford to let myself go to seed today? No, I need to be preparing and getting ready. So how can I I lay in readiness? How can I set myself up for long-term readiness? Uh, So that's a little bit of the thought process there for me, Uh, wanting to think, you know, in actual practical fact, what would it look like to live mm. like Jesus might come back at any time, uh, knowing that it could be a long time? Mm. Yeah, helpful. And I think that leads nicely into the final question. Uh, you know, answer your own question there. What, what could it look like? Uh, you've mentioned Bible reading and prayer on the Sunday. I think you mentioned some other things as well. But someone's just asked that. What, what are some ways that we can be readying ourselves for Jesus' return? Yeah, yeah. Now, our questioner has asked, you know, besides Bible reading and prayer, what else can we do? Uh, now, point well taken. The implication of every single sermon is <laughs> read the Bible and pray. Maybe evangelize more. You know, good things to be doing. Good things to be good doing. Parts of a living faith. Preachers do tend to tend to pick on those, but I do I do want to actually double down on the Bible reading and praying. I just yeah. want to say, actually, like these are um, means of grace. Mm. These are things the Lord has given us to mm. strengthen our faith mm. and. You know, we've heard them a million times. That doesn't make them any less yeah. true. It's God's yeah. word, uh, and it's coming to God, presenting our needs to Him. Mm. 
Like these, I just think this is what God has given us to keep mm. us going. Mm. And we can't sort of be like, yeah, yeah, but tell me the real stuff. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, that is the real stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that said, what else? Uh, how do we live these things out? Um, I suggested just a couple of other, uh, you know, thoughts. Um, uh, it seems to me that, uh, that 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 busyness uh, in our lives, kind of franticness, uh, overcommitment to this mm. or that, mm. work is a classic, but there can be lots of different kinds of uh, commitments in our lives that suck up lots of uh, emotional and spiritual energy, not to mention time. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I, I think peri- periodically those things need to be right-sized they do tend to swell up. You know, work will take as much of your life as you're prepared to give it. Mm. Uh, your boss doesn't want less of your time. Yeah. So from time to time, you have to say, well, okay, but Jesus is my boss. Mm. So how much time does the boss at work get? How much energy can I rightly give him, knowing that I'm serving the Lord Jesus mm. first and foremost? Mm. So, you know, right-sizing those kinds of commitments. Something else I pointed to, uh, was guarding your heart. Um, I think that, you know, the further I go on, the more I think that um, different kinds of disappointment or grief or resentment can lodge in mm. our hearts mm. and can live there mm. and grow there and start to start to kind of poison mm. our lives and, and particularly our spiritual lives. And uh, these are not things to be waved away, those kind of griefs and hurts mm. and pains and mm. disappointments, but they are things to be guarded against. Uh, you know, anger that, anger that puts down roots turns to bitterness and that is just not going to help us in our spiritual lives. Mm. So just doing a bit of an audit of those things. Like, am I angry? Am I bitter? Am I, have I turned sour from disappointment? Um, guarding our hearts, I think, is an important part of, of, of maintaining readiness. That might not apply to every single person, but my hunch is this, you know, applies to me from time to time. Mm. And I think it's probably mm. some in our church family who, uh, that would be a helpful mm. word to mm. hear. Uh, so, you know, those are, those are some avenues I would suggest, uh, you know, things like, you know, besetting sins, I think, are things that really obviously sap readiness. Mm. Now, it's not, I think you kind of helpfully raised this when we spoke a moment ago, Lachlan, this idea of um, oh, if Jesus comes and catches you in the middle of a sin, you won't get into heaven. Mm. Um, that is, you know, that's that's a, a miss appropriation of this passage it's not what jesus is saying you know jesus forgiveness covers all our sins past present and future mm, mm. and so like if he catches you in the middle of one oh that's it you're not coming to heaven now that said um those sins that we just uh that again that kind of move into our lives and we struggle with long term um they really can i think if unless we fight them unless we resist them they can sap spiritual our spiritual lives and uh yeah, can can really uh, jeopardize uh, us long term. You know, um, Hebrews talks about the sin that entangles, mm. uh, that, that, that clings so tight. Mm, mm. And uh, if you want to be ready for Jesus, uh, a great way to do that is by excising that kind of 
besetting sin yeah. from your life. Yeah. Yeah. And fighting against intentional sin. Because that's, uh, you referenced our conversation earlier, that's where I think of this as, um, I don't know if I've ever heard this or just somehow in my own journey with Christ stumbled upon this idea of, oh, I'm feeling a temptation to sin. If I remind myself, well, Jesus could come back at the moment that I'm engaged in sin. Okay, there's a reason not to commit that sin. Um, th- there was a bit of the process that would go on for me uh, and just realizing, well, hey, whether or not Jesus comes back, I still shouldn't commit that sin. If, if, if I've got the temptation consciously and I'm able to then fight against it before committing sin, yeah, say no to that sin. Let's let's fight. Whether or not Jesus is coming back, he's going to see it anyway. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of reasons to fight against intentional sin. Uh, yeah. So there's a bit of a background to that kind of thought process and, and question. Mm. Um, to uh, continue your thought just on the seriousness of prayer as part of this, uh, I'm always struck by 1 Peter 4 where Peter writes, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer Mm. Um, in terms of readiness and bringing our requests to God. Then he goes on, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. So there's an example in another passage of where readiness looks like this living faith, living out in prayer, living out in love for one another, Um, really helpful indicators there, helpful directions for us. and you mentioned Bible reading and prayer as means of grace. Uh, you know, can we throw the Lord's Supper in there as well? Um, is that that might be controversial? I don't know, Peter. We haven't spoken much about that in the past, but there's another means of grace for us that, if I think of the institution of the Lord's Supper in Scripture, Jesus does point forward to that return and that moment where He'll drink and eat with us in the new kingdom. So there's a forward-looking moment to our celebration of the Lord's Supper together. Um, that just refocuses our eyes and reminds us that we are not there yet, that we are waiting, that we're looking forward to this coming. And so along with the hearing of the gospel in the Lord's Supper, um, just that reception of the bread and the wine and the memory of looking forward to that with Jesus. Yeah, love it. Great. Glad we're on the same page there. Um, Peter, that's all our questions. Uh, Unless there's any final comment or anything you feel like you've wanted to say that you haven't been able to yet. I'm I'm all commented out. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) It's been good to be chatting, Peter. I look forward to continuing in Matthew 25. We'll have one more episode, uh, listeners, back with Sam next week on the last stretch of Matthew 25. But hope that you are going well with the Lord. Uh, We look forward to continuing with you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.